blessing. I'm going to take a moment and pray, and we're going to begin here this morning. Lord God, I humble myself before you, and I recognize that in and of myself, I have nothing good to say, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, I ask that you speak through me, that you would be magnified, that you would be glorified here today, that that the words are spoken, if they're not anointed with your presence, they'll fall flat. But Lord, that you would carry your word to your people, Lord God, and that it would impart, that word, rhema words would come forth, that as the logos is spoken, Lord, it would come alive in people's spirits. And Lord, that you would do something marvelous in each of their lives, I pray. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen, amen. I'm just continuing our series, the third week, on a house of worship, and uh, I've subtitled this, In Spirit and in Truth, In Spirit and in Truth. And I have a text here in John chapter 4, John chapter 4, verse 23. Uh, Maybe you can help that along. Thank you. And our text is, but the time is coming, and Jesus is speaking, indeed it is here now. When true worshipers, somebody shout true worshipers. I don't know about you, but I want to be a true worshiper. You say, well, what does that mean? We'll get into it in a moment. But true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And we'll talk about that. And then it goes on to say what? God is what? He is looking. He is looking. I want to be a part and be about what God is looking for. Amen? Not what the world is looking for, but what God is looking for. I want to be about that. And I believe you do too. For those who will worship him that way, who will worship him that way. And Lord willing, next week, uh, there's uh, uh, ways of worship I want to talk to you about in different postures and how, what it means to, to be a worshiper and how we can worship. How many know the standard is the word of God? Right? The, the standard is not my experience, right? The standard is not your experience or what someone else says you should or shouldn't do. The standard is what's in the Word. So if I share with you what is in the Word and you see that and you go, wow, that's in the Bible, then it's on you to either obey or not. I don't mean that to be a heavy. I'm trying to say that in a life-giving way. But what I'm saying is a lot of times there's maybe ignorance. We don't know. You know, how should we worship? And maybe, you know, there was one time I heard of a, uh, a kid that was running around in the church and he came uh, in front of the altar and usher was there and in the moment he came in front of the altar as he was running he started just to tiptoe and then he took off and run it again like okay well <laughs> great that he had you know some kind of a reverence for the Lord but you know who told him that you know and so worshiping in spirit and truth there's the scripture is quite clear on how we are to worship God now here's the thing here's the challenge or the rub is that will you be willing to embrace what God says about worship? Said that with a smile. <laughs> because why? We want everything that God has for us, right? And there are blessings in that in obedience to the Lord because he alone is worthy. I like how the Amplified Bible says, God is spirit and the source of light, yet invisible to mankind. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Wow must. Last week, quickly, we talked about Mary of Bethany, how she came prepared to worship Jesus. She came uh, as she prepared her heart. She also brought a sacrifice when she came, and she came 
and she was not concerned about anyone else in the room. She wasn't distracted, and she came with a heart of intimacy to the Lord and how that was a picture of worship. Psalm 22.3 says, God actually lives and dwells in our praises. I'm going to say that again because some of you missed that. God, what? He lives and dwells in our praises. So if you want to be in the presence of the Lord, praise Praise draws the Lord near. Yes, I know there is the inward when we are born again. We are saved. We have the Spirit of God within. But there is a presence of the Lord that can come upon us in situations as we begin to worship and praise Him. He's drawn near, and there is, there is there's a tangibleness. There is a tangible presence of the Lord. And so we've been talking about making space for worship, and we will have some time at the end of the service uh, as we conclude, and those that need to go, feel free to. Uh, but we'll just have a time we're just going to worship and, and allow the Spirit of God just to, to move in our midst. And I'm so thankful for the testimonies I keep hearing, uh, people texting me of what God is doing, stirring people up. People will begin to weep just in the service and how God is touching them. And so that is the God we serve. Can you say amen? So just basically, I mean, how do we worship in spirit, in truth. I thought about that. As believers, the Bible says we're called to worship in spirit and truth. And some of you might wonder, okay, what does that mean? So how, how, what does that mean? How can I worship God daily? Uh, how can I worship God wherever I'm at? And uh, the good news is you can, and we know that worship is a powerful spiritual exercise, exercise Excuse me, in any believer's life just give you a couple examples about worship and how powerful it is. In Joshua chapter 6, we know the story of the battle of Jericho. Most of you have read that and how the walls came down. Back in 1988, I had the opportunity to, to go to Israel uh, for their 40th year uh, as a nation and uh, the Feast of Pentecost and just enjoying that season. And we traveled throughout the country and had an opportunity there. I guess there was two Jerichos. Uh, there was a new Jericho. Then there's the old Jericho. We were at the old Jericho. And uh, the Jewish uh, man, the guide, was telling us that, that when those walls came down, they just didn't crumble. The walls came down flat. So the children of Israel could just run right up in and take, take the city. And I thought about that, about the God that we serve. And it's interesting to note that the trumpets, we know the story, that they, what did they do? They, they marched around the city six times, and in the seventh time, they were told to shout and blow the trumpets. But they weren't supposed to speak a word while they were marching those six days. I think that's interesting. In other words, God was saying, I don't want any negativity coming out of your mouth. I don't want any doubt or, or this. This is so stupid. Why are... I don't want any of that coming out of your mouth because I'm going to come and move and I need you to not speak any of that. I need you to be in faith. So the best way to do that is zip it and just let the singers sing and the trumpets blast. And, and, it, and it says that actually the trumpets that were used for war were the same ones they used for worship. Oh, you didn't get that. The trumpets in praise and worship are the same trumpets in the realm of the spirit for war. And so when you just think, well, we're just praising the Lord right now, whatever. Hey, listen, the enemy takes notice of that. It, it, it allows him to, he, he has to flee. He is driven back. 
I mean, remember the story about uh, the Amalekites when Aaron and Hur were holding up Moses' hands as he held the staff of God? These are spiritual pictures for us today. And his arms got weary and tired, and the staff of God began to be lowered, and then the Amalekites, they began to prevail over the children of Israel. Sounds foolish. Sounds doesn't make sense. How could doing that mean anything? But God is trying to teach us a picture about worship and praise. And Aaron and her came alongside, and what? They helped, lifted his hands, and they prevailed over the enemy. It's a picture. The Bible says these things are written in Hebrew for our example. So we can know how to operate in the realm of the Spirit and live our life successful and overcoming. Can I get an amen? And so we know uh, they say that it's actually encompassed uh, Jericho about eight or nine acres. So it took about maybe 30 minutes or so to an hour for them to march around. And I want you to see this. On the surface, the children of Israel were forced to follow a dumb strategy. It really was dumb. But God was testing their faith. Are you with me this morning? Would they trust God enough to obey him, even when it didn't make sense? Yes, they did. They obeyed God. And just like worship is also when we sing and we praise, it also is part of a warfare in the spirit. A warfare. How many know the enemy hates your worship? He hates it. He despises it. He'd rather get you all discombobulated, all churned up, all mad on social media, you know, and he'd rather have you doing that than for you to just go, you know what, I just need to begin to set an atmosphere of worship right now because I feel like a lot is coming down upon me and I need to bring the presence of God in this situation and rise above it. Rise above that, amen? And so that's what we must do. If you want to overcome the forces of evil in your life, Sometimes what you're doing seems like a dumb strategy in the natural. To walk, to not speak, then shout, then praise. You know, how many know once again, your confession, your speech matters. It matters. You better believe it is. And so just an encouraging but a challenging, do what God tells you to do, even when it doesn't make sense, even when you don't understand him. Be obedient what he asks. Amen? You know, just a couple examples. You know, it doesn't make sense to tell the truth. But God says, put away falsehood and speak the truth with your neighbor, Ephesians 4. It doesn't always make sense to let go of your anger, but God says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, according to Ephesians 4.26. It doesn't always make sense to hold your tongue, but God says, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up that it may give grace to those who hear Ephesians 4. It doesn't always make sense to forgive one who has wronged you, but God says be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Doesn't always make sense to obey God, but that's what true worship is. It's all about that. It's what, it's what breaks down the barriers of the enemy and the strongholds in our life. And it brings uh, the enemy, uh, it sets the enemy fleeing. So once again, by faith, do what God tells you to do. Be obedient, uh, even if it doesn't seem to make sense. I think about another illustration about worship and how powerful it is. Some of you remember this, the Philippian jailer is converted. And so we know about Paul and Silas, they're in prison. And in Acts 16 Verses 24 to 26. I'm just going to read this for a moment. Having received this order, uh, it says that 
he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, somebody say midnight. <laughs> the w- midnight is what? It's, the w- it's like it's late, it's, uh, it's getting into, you should be in bed before midnight. Come on, somebody. No, someone said nothing good happens after midnight. A- amen. <laughs> Some people say, I live for two in the morning. Okay. <laughs> Hallelujah. And he said, in, in, at midnight, Paul and Silas were what? Praying and singing hymns to God. Worshiping. You got to be kidding. They got changed. They're fasting. It's the worst case scenario you can think of. Are we going to be killed the next day? What are they doing? We praise you, God. We worship you. And it says this, and the prisoners were listening to them. The prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake. So a miracle happened in this situation, that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And a miracle takes place, and they walk off. Worship unlocks doors in the spirit realm. Worship unloosens bonds in the spirit. Can you say amen? And, and, you know, these examples, and there's more examples that show what can happen when we, when we worship God, when we worship God in spirit and in truth. So quickly, what does worshiping in truth mean? Very quickly, just simply, the first, I would say, is you worship God. You worship God Almighty, the one and true only God, the true and living God, God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. He is the true and living God. You know, I've traveled to numerous nations, and they have pictures everywhere and statues of weird-looking, gorgia-looking things, and they're gods to them. They think they can bring them protection, and, and, and they, they bring them offerings. They do this today. I remember years ago, we had a, a gentleman that came to the church, and it was just a real disastrous situation. He was actually from India. And with the wife, and it was just it was just a horrible situation. Long story short, uh, he's alone. He has nothing, and so the church we basically took him in. Like he needed his teeth fixed, the church fixed his teeth. I mean, he didn't have a vehicle in the summer. We got him a bicycle, and uh, he rode a bike. We got him a job, and and then he needed a car. Getting winter, and so we got him a car, and and we loved on him. He was water baptized. He was from the uh, Hindu background. And he said, Pastor Mike, he said, uh, it's time, the time's coming, and I have to go back to India. And I, I said, okay, I want you to get plugged into a local church there. And I started finding some churches there in southern India, and, <clears throat> and he had some places to go. But he said, Pastor Mike, he said, I explained, I said, what do they do there in the temples? He said, you wouldn't believe it. <clears throat> it's scary. It's evil. There's all these creatures, but people come in droves, and they bring their little offering, and they give it to the priest that the priest would throw some water and bless them. And it's not talking like a Catholic priest or anything. It's just a demonic entity. And they would come in fear. They live in fear that they would be blessed. And he goes, I never did that. And I knew there was always something wrong with it. He goes, now I know the truth. Amen? <clears throat> but you worship the true and living God. We worship the Father in spirit and truth. When we worship in truth, we won't worship empty philosophies that come from the world's way of thinking, according to Colossians 2.8. Isaiah 55.8 says, man's ways of thinking is not always God's way of thinking. Can you say amen? What do we do? We focus on the message in the truth of Jesus Christ. That's where we lift high. The Bible says in Colossians 3.16, let the, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives 
Teach, counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Are you out there this morning? Can you say amen? <clears throat> so we worship God. That's what we do when you say we want to worship in spirit and truth. And then we are to know God's word. That would, that's what it means to worship in truth, to, to know the word of God. In order to worship in truth, you need to know the truth. <laughs> you need to know the truth. Now, I would say if the only truth you hear is Sunday morning from about <clears throat> 10.50 to about 11.30, at least you're getting some truth. At least you're, at least you're getting truth. That's what my heart every time I step up here in fear and trembling is that would preach the uncompromised word of God. So I'm pretty sure of that. And here's the thing. I have to be judged. I'll be judged by what is spoken. And, and you know, if I was moved by opinions and, that I preach the truth. So I'm committed to preaching the truth. So if that's all the word that you have, that's good. But dear brothers and sisters, you need more. <laughs> I need more. You need more than just Sunday from them. There's a corporate anointing, a corporate presence that you can't get at home. But there is a private place that you can go and seek the Lord and you can worship him in spirit and truth and get God's word in you. Amen. And so we need to continually renew our minds to the word of God, to the word of God, spending time in, in, in the word. Romans 12, 2, very popular verse. Don't be like the people of this world. Don't be like the people of this world. But let God change the way you think. Amen. Then you will know how to do everything that is good and pleasing to God. I don't want to be like the world. Amen. Yeah, we live in the world, but we're not of the world, okay? That doesn't mean we walk around and we dress like, you know, we tumbled out of the forest somewhere with a loincloth and a staff, you know what I mean? No, we are to, you know, we can dress appropriately. How many hear what I'm saying? But, but we don't want to act like the world and think the way the world is because the Bible talks about the God of this world, small g, Satan. He is the one that affects mankind in their thinking, the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind through what? The word of God. And so we know that Paul's words, these aren't new. This isn't new. And changing our mind is the central theme of Jesus' first sermon. In Matthew 4, 17, it says, from the time Jesus began to preach and say, repent. In other words, change your inner self. Interesting. Your old way of thinking. Change your mind. Regret past sins. This is Jesus' first message. The first thing he spoke. Are you here this morning? In other words, live your life in a way that proves repentance. Wow. Seek God's purpose for your life, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said that 2,000 years ago, and it's still 2,023 years later, appropriate today. Live your life. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's at hand. Changes the way you think changes your perspective, which changes how you act in the world. Can you say amen? So when our minds are renewed to what God says is truth, and not only what the world says, then we're able to come to him and worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, I want to switch here uh, a little bit because it kind of wind down, and I want to give you an illustration a little bit personally about my life. But to challenge us all, and I don't mean this to be a heavy but I believe there's truth in it because when we have idols in our life, it stops us from worshiping. Idols in our life prohibit us. Idols strap us. Have you ever seen the guy in the straight jacket 
and they try to get out, you know, the Houdini type thing, and he's upside down in water, whatever, and they get out, and we clap, you know. But on idols in our life, it's like a straitjacket. And when you meet someone that is full of the Spirit of God, a normal, healthy believer, amen, <laughs> and, and they're full of the Spirit of God, they can worship. They can enter in, and they can pray right away. There's not all this garbage they got to deep, come on, somebody, deal with, you know. It's like, well, I need to start, you know. They're just ready. They're there, and they're full of the Spirit of God. And I'm telling you, I'd be the first person to think at times things in life that are heavy. You deal with things, and then someone's like, hey, pray. Pray about this right now. It's like, okay, let me align my heart right now to this, what needs to happen in this moment. But but, I'm going to hear what I'm trying to say. And, and so we all have things in our life that can turn into idols. Now, let me just say this in a life-giving way. I mean, many of you, you all have a favorite sports team. If I said, well, what's your favorite sports team? Somebody would shout out, hey, you like this team. And <clears throat> think about how it's normal for us to, to hoop, to holler, to scream, come on, somebody, <clears throat> to shout, to paint our faces, and to hi-fi total strangers at a sports game, or maybe in our living room, you know, watching a game, but, but, but we feel uncomfortable if someone raises their hands or sings in church. Yes, thank you. I just, I don't understand that. And, or says amen, or, you know, in a worship service. Here's a dream I have. I have a dream that one day the praise on Sunday mornings at Church for the Harvest will be greater than the praise that happens at a football stadium on Sunday. Amen. I believe I'm speaking to the right people, and that's your heart. <clears throat> Here's the thing. God does not mind that we enjoy watching and playing sports, and if you want to paint your face, go ahead. But when it comes time to church... Lift your hands, clap, praise the Lord. Something's wrong. Come on, I'm not trying to be mean or ugly, but something's wrong. Because if you can go, woo, ah, and have horns on, and, you know, I don't know if there's any of you in here that may, you never know sometimes with some people, you go, oh, I didn't know. That's okay. That's great. More power to you. But when it comes time to worship, hallelujah, yes, you can enter in. You can praise God. You can worship God. You can sing. You can clap. All these things are biblical, and they're all in the Bible. Somebody say amen. amen. Hallelujah. So God does not mind. He minds if we don't put him first. If he's not first place in our life. And we'll talk about that in a moment. He's the God who created us. It all comes down to worship because worship itself refers to what's going on inside your heart. Mm. Inside your heart. Worship centers on the answers to a series of questions we all face. I just thought I'd, I'd list these because I think it's important. What matters most to me? Whom do I care about most? Who or what gets my devotion, allegiance, and loyalty? What's my top priority? Where does all my time, uh-oh, energy, and money go. You say, well, I don't know. I'm kind of confused. For those of you who got a checkbook still, look through your checkbook. What, <laughs> amen, what, what is, you know, where does it all go? Well, it goes for bills or whatever. You know, just, these are questions that I believe are locating 
for all of us, myself included. Lo- locating, please, please don't feel I'm trying to be condescending. But for all of us, what really matters most? And here's the thing. When we answer these questions, honestly, we get a pretty accurate picture of where we stand with the Lord. Amen. Once again, God created us in his own image as spiritual beings. You were made for worship. That's what God created you for. Worship. And, you know, I've taught and passed on heaven, and, and, and some people just think, okay, is it going to be any fun? People think, we're going to have more fun in hell. No, you won't. And heaven, it isn't you're some kind of a floating spiritual, you know, amoeba and with wings, and that's all you do in eternity. And, oh, my brothers and sisters, you know, there's a thousand-year reign. We're coming back to this earth in bodies. Okay? So that, that means, you know, those of you that live with the Lord now are going to be in charge of some big things. Some of you be heads of state. Come on, somebody. All right? And people leading. It's a thousand-year reign. All right? I mean, and, and then there's, you know, eternity with the Lord. I don't know about you, but it's incalculable, the galaxies. It, it can't, we can only see 13 and a half billion light years. Our God is unending. So there's going to be things that you could be doing and leading in life, and I actually believe it'll be tied to your passion. It'll be tied to your passion, what you're passionate about. You know, I like sometimes the Mandalorian, and I like space. I don't know, you've got any Mandalorian fans out here? All right, you know, it's like he's always going to a new planet. He's going to a new place, and, and he, get, he can get there by light speed. I love that. Someday, I just think in eternity, we'll be able to do that. What galaxy? Oh, there's Pastor Mike. He's going to some galaxy. <laughs> Amen. Got to take out the bad guys. Come on, some Heaven's going to be awesome. It's real. It's a real place. It's tangible. Okay? It isn't just nothing that's floating. It's, it's exciting. It's a place you want to desire to be. Paul said, I would rather go and be with the Lord, but for the sake of the kingdom, I'll, I'll be here with you. Hallelujah. So answering these uh, questions, honestly, it, it, it locates us. It's an accurate picture. <clears throat> and let me just say this. We're made to worship, but if we're not worshiping our creator, then we're trying to put something else in his rightful place. Now watch this. This is what we call idolatry. And idolatry simply is worshiping anything or anyone instead of God. Worshiping anything or anyone instead of God. Now, I'll be the first to admit that I've had idols in my life, and I'm going to share one as a kid that I had that was a, I had a divine uh, moment, uh, a, a teaching moment that the Holy Spirit worked in my life. But idolatry comes in many forms. And we're talking about this because we don't want to have anything hold us back from worshiping God in spirit and truth. I don't. I don't believe you do. You want to come free to worship God. No weights and bondages and oppression. Amen? Now, there are times you're going to have a difficult week and you come in. You just need to be lifted up and infused. Praise the Lord. That's what the church body is for. To pray for you, to encourage you, to strengthen you, to lay hands on you, to help you up that week. Amen? Praise God. That's the purpose of the church. But idolatry comes in many forms, not just in pagan statues or exotic shrines, false gods in the form of objects of animals. But our culture bombards us every day with alluring idols of power. Watch this. Money, sex, fame. Each one asking us to bow before it. 
bow before that idol. Every day we are being bombarded with these idols. And here's the thing. If we're not anchored in Christ Jesus, if we haven't drawn the line in the sand that we refuse to cross, then our hearts can easily become seduced by cultural gods, and then we cave in to temptation so easily. And so what happens, the enemy can take us out of the race. He can rob us, watch this. He can rob you of your purpose. He can rob you of your peace and joy that God created you to experience. We don't want that, amen? I don't want that. God does not want you to be robbed of your purpose, peace, and joy. Can I get an amen? It doesn't have to be this way. And so the enemy is always working in this area about idolatry. And I think about it. Uh, I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were in the fire. It's actually Daniel 3.16. And, and in the full gospel circle, especially in the Word of Faith movement, we love these verses before it about what, what they do when they address O King Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If the God whom we serve ex- 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 exists, then he is able to deliver us from the blazing, fiery furnace and from your hand, O king. And and a lot of the word of faith people would go, what? Come on, hallelujah, our God is able. Man, our God is able. But what if he doesn't? Because this is what they, this, this is how they finish the paragraph. See, we read the end of the story, but even in the midst of that, they said, but even if he does not. Where's the word of faith in that? Well, that's faith. Because that's saying, I'm not bowing to your idol. I'm not bowing down to your idol. Even if he doesn't, let it be known. And they were respectful. O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden statue you have set up. And the Bible said his visage, King Nebuchadnezzar, was transformed. His face contorted. That's what happens when you speak truth and the enemy doesn't like it. They get possessed. They hate it. Stephen, when he spoke, and, and, and he, he spoke to the Sadducees and Pharisees before the Sanhedrin, and he spoke, and he brought back all the history, how the Messiah was to come, and, and he said, you are the ones that killed him. They manifest. They grabbed him, and they threw him off, and they began to stone him and killed him, and he looked up, and he saw the king standing. Hallelujah. Amen? And so that, I think, is a posture. You don't just arrive at that. The Lord has to bring you to that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I, even in my own life, I've been in, in very difficult, scary, life-threatening situations in you. There's a real fear, but you got to trust the Lord, even if he does not. I'm going to trust the Lord in this situation. Don't let fear cripple your life. Don't let fear, don't, oh man, I need to say that again. Fear has crippled many lives. In this day and age right now, it's been fear. Fear, don't do this. Fear about that. Fear not having enough. Fear, oh, the bank and Silicon Valley collapse. What's happened next? It's going to have fear. No fear. That's the God we serve. Man, I just, there's a lot of fear. The enemy wants to, he's dumping fear. Bow to that, that idol of fear. We're not going to bow in Jesus' name. So in conclusion, Psalm 42.5. Interesting uh, verse here. Why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? Why are you crying the blues? You cry in the blues, you're down to the dumps. Why? What is the antidote? Fix my eyes on God. Soon we'll be praising again. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. As we look to him, our soul is revived. But it looks really bad, Pastor Mike. We could lose everything. Look unto Jesus. He'll provide. He will provide. I heard one time, it was funny, 
it was uh, uh, actually it was actually Jim Jim Scala. We were in Ukraine. We were talking, and he was helping with uh, 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 with the, we were working at a drug rehab center, and, we, and he was helping put in the septic system. And my brother Mark was there with. It was just funny, and he was telling a story about how they had a truck that um, that got stuck. It was a big truck, and they needed a chain. And it was, this is the strangest thing. And we just burst out laughing. But Jim told the story. He said the truck got stuck and it was around a bank. And we needed a chain. We had no chain. And another truck came by, hit a bump, and a chain fell off the truck like a snake. Went right to the truck and they used the chain to pull out. God knows what you need. You say, well, what about the other guy that lost the chain? You know what? I'll get him another chain. But he'll give you what you need. Amen. Why are you crying the blues? Fix my eyes on God. Soon I'll be praising again. So once again, what is extremely important to you? You have to ask yourself, what is it? Is it money, security, power, maybe prestige? Maybe it's having fun. You know, you see this generation, a lot of them, they say this is, I just want to be happy. How many know there's nothing wrong with being happy? But how many know happiness can come and go? But joy is there within. See, see, so you could be happy right now, but you could be sad in about an hour, you know? But, but, but that's, it's, it's fleeting, but it's joy. And so the pursuit in your life should not be, I want to be happy. So I want to make everything happy in my life. No, the pursuit in your life is I want to seek him. And even though I go through difficult things, up and down, I'll have a joy sustaining in my heart to know I am right with God. Can you say Amen. Hallelujah. And so, so, you know, we all worship something, and it should be God. But if you assign supreme value to something, that thing that you were worshiping, watch me, this is your God, whatever that be, if it's not the Lord God Almighty. And once again, Satan, the devil, he's after your worship. And these idols, they start in our heart. Luke 4 tells of Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost. He entered in the wilderness 40 days fasting and being tempted of the devil. And then in verse 7, it says, Satan comes to him when he's hungry. So his lowest point in the flesh, this is Jesus, all right? If we miss a meal or a, a dessert, sometimes we start to manifest. Where's the ice cream? I didn't get my apple pie at 2. Or Come on, somebody. <laughs> 40 days. It was supernatural. I get it. It was 40 days, supernatural. But it was the lowest point. And Satan comes and says, all this power I give you and the glory of those kingdoms for that is delivered to me and whomsoever I will, I'll give it. And I just began to dig into that in one, this translation. And I just thought, you know what? As I dug into this, one commentator says, this is not true what he says. We know, yes, Satan is called small g, God of this world. The Bible says that. And he also says that he is the prince and the power of the air, which is that, that rule over uh, the first heaven. And he rules, though, I thought this was interesting. He says this, he rules by sufferance in the way of entreaty through pain and misery. Now watch this. It's implied by a lack of interference or failure to enforce a prohibition. That's a lot right there. I'll say it again. It's implied by a lack of interference, the church, or failure of the enforcement agency, the church, and he gets away with it. That's what it means. He's a liar, and he thinks he owns, and he doesn't own anything, and Jesus set him straight. 
And then he says, if you, Jesus, will therefore worship me, there's that idolatry, they shall be all yours. Jesus put them in his place. Amen? Amen. Stand with me if you would, please. I want to show you a picture. I actually found this. I'm 14 years old. Now, this, I, I was, this, so this motorcycle I had, I love riding dirt bikes. And the, the thing, just, I'm, I'm soon to end here, so just bear with me. And so the thing about this dirt bike was I loved this dirt bike. Honda XR75, 1973. I think it was about 78. I was either 13, 14 years old. <clears throat> Little skinny kid there. I had hair, though. Man. But um, I love this bike. <clears throat> but the bikes Dad got us before were just like nerd bikes. So it was one like some moped-looking thing. And the exhaust. And it was just a long banana seat. And I was just like, so we would drive this. And so the kids, we called down back where the tracks were, <clears throat> where we would ride. Uh, <clears throat> they would laugh at us. They'd mock at us. Oh, here comes this fan thing or whatever we were driving. And it was like always an embarrassment. You know, here, here comes the weird bikers, you know. And I was always, Dad, you know, we, we never have any good bikes, you know. So he finds this bike. And it was just a few years old. And it was just, it had the fat back tire the exhaust, and it had the stickers on the tank. I mean, these things are classics now. They hang them up in motorcycle shops, you know. They're like, wow, you know, look at that antique. That was my bike. And it was just, I loved this bike. So we were homeschooled, and uh, I would get up 6 o'clock, work all the way to noon, and then we could, can I ride my bike? Yeah, you can go down back, ride your bike. We had a helmet and everything, and we'd ride the bike. I'd ride for hours, I loved the bike. We'd do side bends, you know, try to wheelie. I mean, just, I loved it. And it just, it consumed my life. Now, this is, I'm talking about, I'm 14 years old. 14 years old. And we had dogs, too. I think we had, like, Noah's Ark at the house. I mean, cats, and everything was breeding. and I mean, like, I delivered the pup. We had a dog, Heidi. She was shepherd. She'd break off the chain, go out, get pregnant, come back, a litter of 13 shepherds, you know, like, oh. But we loved it as kids, you know, and this is the cutest dogs as shepherds when they're puppies, I tell you that. They just lick your face, and, and, and I would sleep in the doghouse at times and with all these puppies, and I just, I, I loved them. And, and so they got distemper, and that's a, a deadly, actually Max and Brutus, the other two shepherds, died of it. Heidi had it, but she began to recover. So they're in the shed. You know, you can't see, but to the left of there, there was an old shed that we had all the bikes in, and we used to lock it, supposed to at night. We did not. <clears throat> well, some kids came by, and they stole my bike right out of the shed. So in other words, they walked in. The dogs are all sick, like, I don't even care. <laughs> you know? And they took the bike out, and it was gone. I was crushed. Like, my life is over. I got to feel the disappointment. My dad, you know, should have locked the all the should have, could have. I was just, I, I was crying. I was like, I don't know what to do. So they call the cops. And some cop guy comes out, who was actually a believer. And my dad started to get in the cop car with him, drive around the community, trying to find out who had it. And my mom, I will say this, my mom came out and she said, she said, you know what? I've noticed that this bike, you love this bike. This bike was an idol to you. You worship this bike. And she was right. And all I wanted, I just wanted the bike back, so I thought. She said, you know what? You need to, you need to ask the Lord 
to forgive you for that being an idol in your life. I'm just a 14-year-old kid. And my mom had enough spiritual sense at that moment to speak these words into my life. And, and, and I said, okay, okay. And I began to pray. And she said, you might get it back, you might not, but you got to just trust the Lord. And so right there at 532 East Street, standing near the telephone pole, I can remember crying and just, just saying, okay, Lord, forgive me for this bite. 14 years old, being an idol in my life. I put it before you. You say, that's ridiculous. Idols happen in many forms. Many forms. And so what happened is the local bully, who the the first fight in my life came by him because he grabbed my sister's hair, and I had to do something, you know, like because my dad's going to beat me if I don't do something, you know. (laughs) And the local bully shows up when his bike goes, dude, I know where your bike's at. And I figured he would, too. I'm like, okay, where? And he goes, I, I can show you, but I can't be seen. And so we jump in the car, and my dad and this other gentleman that's with him, we drive down, and we pull into a house that they're closing the garage door like this. They're closing. The kids are out there. And we jump on and say, hey, keep that door open. And my dad, and they lifted it up, and there's my bike. But they took a paintbrush battleship gray and with a paintbrush painted over the tank they dinged up the tank the exhaust was bent and I look I went that's my bike and they said what are you all doing with this bike and they said we don't know we just found it somewhere and we, I took the bike no argument put it in the bank of the the vehicle and we brought it home but but something happened in that moment that bike ceased to be an idol in my life it got passed on to my brother Mark he got it but you know and he loved it We fixed it up. But the point is, is that I learned a lesson, a very powerful lesson in that moment about how futile idols are in our life. Every head bowed, please. Worshiping anything but God alone. 1 John 5.21 says this. Little children, believers, dear ones, guard yourself from idols, false teachings, moral compromise, and anything that would take God's place in your heart. With every head bowed here this morning, we serve a God that is a jealous God. He's not jealous in the sense that that he's weak or insecure. It is a holy, it is a righteous jealousy. He, he, that means he deserves our deepest and our strongest affections and admiration. But he's also loving too. That's the God we serve. First of all, you're here this morning. Is it, Pastor, I'm not right with the Lord? I recognize now I've got some idols in my life that have been keeping me from God to abandoning myself wholeheartedly to serve Him. Friends, it's not worth it. I said it's not worth it. Whatever that thing or being is, it's not worth it, worth it to have that before God. You say, Pastor, pray for me. I need to get right with the Lord. I want to lead you in a prayer of repentance right now if we can just join in corporately. Say this to me. Say, Jesus, I repent. Forgive me. Wash me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. Jesus, forgive me. Save me. I give you my life. Now take it in Jesus' name. 